Welcome to On Belonging, an audio series to connect us. On Belonging explores why so many of us are feeling called to find a deeper sense of belonging, whether with our ancestors or to the land where we live and beyond. These powerful stories and conversations are an invitation into the lives and landscapes of the guests' worlds, offering pathways towards remembering and finding more belonging. The following features a conversation with April Lynn and Jamie Lee and Carla. I'm currently based in London. I moved here around eight, nine years ago from Sweden, which is where I was born. And my parents had emigrated, emigrated there uh, from mainland China in the early 90s. Yeah, I feel like migration and ancestry for me are really intertwined and interlinked just on a personal level but also in terms of understanding like this passage of time and space on this enormous scale that this concept of ancestry contains and I think sometimes yeah locating it in my own story and in my own family um, makes that a bit more digestible so yeah I you refer to the UK as my adulthood home and then China as my ancestral home and Sweden as my childhood home and I somehow my myself all exist somewhere in between these three places. All this conversation kind of um, reminds me of like kind of this idea of making kin, uh, you know, at the edges of our of empire. And um, and I'm curious what led to articulating this work as radical ancestry versus typical ways of engaging with ancestry. And um, more specifically, what does radical ancestry mean to you? Hmm. I think quite a core part of my exploration or my practice or my work is, like I say, investigating what role ancestry plays in these worlds that we inhabit and create in contemporary society. Um, Some of which, or I guess all of which, start out as some kind of myths and which I think then become materialized and reified through thought and language and action into the worlds that we do inhabit, which have very real and tangible and felt consequences. Yeah, and the ways that ancestry is part of that kind of world building, both in a speculative, more so-called fictional with quotation marks sense, but also in a really in a yeah, in a very real sense, in a ways that have consequences and ripple effects beyond, you know, our immediate time beyond our immediate like kin as well. Um, and yeah, ancestral lineages or intergenerational and diasporic knowledges and the role of expanding and critiquing and experimenting with notions of memory or time and space, they feature quite heavily in my works in the sense that I envision my work as portals of some kind that can invite collaborators or audiences into another mode of being. And in this hybrid kind of fictional, semi-fictional, semi-real space, these false truths that we often inhabit in real world time, um, things that become kind of solidified or cemented through like late staged capitalist or colonial, post-colonial um, structures and power systems, these false truths can hopefully then be unlearned is my hope by my work and instead we can move towards ways of living equitably with the land and with each other uh, or slowly relearn these things and reconnect with the ways that our cultures or our histories have practiced these things before and as a second generation immigrant myself with parents who have experienced like the Chinese cultural revolution and undergone like maybe three different kinds of huge economic shifts in their own lifetime um, and then moved to Sweden, which has a completely different history, completely different way of living. I would feel like the sense of false truths with real consequences feels very dominant, both in my own background and feels kind of, um, it's made ancestry and this way of understanding things as being inherited and also understanding ideas as seeds that you sow for future people and future audiences as something that's like personally and culturally relevant to my everyday. And I feel really blessed and honored to be able to work with ideas like this 
on a professional level and to make connections like the ones we're making right now um, as part of my work. And I feel like it's really a never-ending kind of journey about of, of learning about and with these histories and having these kinds of conversations with other people who are interested in this topic, you know, like exchanging ideas, exchanging techniques, exchanging approaches, um, but also people who don't work with ancestry on the professional level to see how they too embody and practice and move within that kind of topic for themselves. Yeah, and radical ancestry, I guess, for me, it comes with this desire to be able to approach ancestry from multiple angles or like at multiple planes of understanding, like seeing that there is this very um, romanticized sometimes science around what ancestry is and, you know, is in like bold font, this way of thinking about biology as some kind of unquestionable truth or dogma and wanting to see beyond that and to see entanglements as something that we are all always part of whether or not we are biologically related i think expanding from this biological definition of ancestry to something that is more spiritual or cultural or uh, critical as well feels quite essential to, to an understanding of what ancestry is to me yeah i liked even in your answer there was sort of like a a shift maybe in how you started explore the words that you were using, like, like you started really like focusing in on like that relearning and like, um, coming back to and always learning and always growing, which is <laughs> something that Carla talks about, like literally nonstop, um, <laughs> is this really beautiful way of finding connection through, like you say, kind of beyond bloodlines and in ways that we can find kinship that is so rooted in who we are and how we exist on on this planet or this experience or this lived experience. Um, like, you know, one of the phrases that we like to use is that it's like already in our bodies, already in our bones, already in our, already in who we are, if we're like open to these conversations and open to each other and open to that kinship with things that are beyond just human experience. So connecting to the land, connecting to the flora, the fauna, the fungi, all that, all that beautiful stuff that is like woven into our experiences that we're having. And I love this idea that like radical ancestry to you is so much more than biological, especially because um, that can actually be really limiting. A lot of people don't have access to that biological um quite literally inherited uh genes and genetics like they like it's an erasure of an experience if that's our only way of connecting to our ancestry um mm, absolutely and the ways that like bloodlines as you say or like this very narrow understanding of who we should consider our kin has actually fostered so much different there's so many different kinds of violence mm -hmm, totally history. yeah and different kinds of like categorization or systematization of like people and usually there's some kind of value system attached to that system you know so yeah it's like really dismantling or wanting to dismantle and think beyond that feels really really crucial to like regrowing your own relationship with what ancestry is yeah i love this conversation um I've been starting to use, I think it has a lot to do with your work, April. I'm starting using the word um, radcestors. We were asking people who their radcestors are, and I said, I'll start. Mine is mycelium. <laughs> um, it's been really fun. So what does belonging mean to you? Mm. Um, I'd say belonging means many things to me and um, I think the first thing that comes up for me is that it's a sense of home or a sense of safety safety that doesn't presume a sense of like stagnancy or a sense of fixedness I think maybe those things are often or can be conflated right to be like safe is just to be like comfortable and you know not be threatened too much but actually belonging for me 
is this space where, yeah, there's perhaps comfort in being uncomfortable or, or there's an openness towards discomfort and there's a safety in knowing that like it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes like some discomfort is necessary to grow and um, and knowing that that's something that's safe to do that it's safe to like make mistakes or safe to um, like venture out into different directions or draw different connections that didn't previously exist as well as to kind of um take your time getting to know the things you know even better and yeah I think that's like the vague kind of emotional sense that comes up in my gut when I see the word belonging um but then there's also a part of me that's maybe a bit more skeptical maybe in terms of how belonging is often leveraged to yeah perpetuate systems of violence or systems of power inequality and then thinking also about you know uh belonging in and of itself is not the same right like there is different myths or hmm, yeah maybe myths is the right word there are different myths of belonging that are used and weaponized also to further violence and to create um create violence and i'm thinking a lot about how you know while society gets more and more polarized also with the use of tech uh, sci and manipulation of like what we are seeing and encountering via algorithms how that in turn becomes an enforced kind of belonging that is manufactured yeah to kind of sustain the system that we live in a system that is inherently sustainable but to kind of lengthen that lifespan thinking about how belonging yeah has often become like a concept that's twisted for a lot of like for instance in alt-right circles perhaps a lot of like more vulnerable or like lonely men who aren't able to connect with people they find like a sense of belonging in yeah perpetuating ways of seeing the world that justify a sense of like supremacy or thinking also perhaps about uh, more like transphobic circles as well where a belonging to them is maybe more predicated on a, a defining a sense of community that excludes others um so I don't know that's it's a it's an interesting term and I think it contains a lot and I think in my intuition and in my own body it's something that feels really safe but sometimes when I see it and witness it being used outside of just me I feel like it's also something that is used to justify like a lack of safety or a lack of equitable safety maybe so it's quite it's um yeah it's complex but that doesn't mean it's not something that I pursue or want to foster you know yeah I agree that it's um like I always think about children, my work is really oriented around adult supremacy. And so it's definitely a site where, you know, parents, particularly, or any caregiver who's in a relationship with a young person, like can leverage belonging in a really terrible way that isn't consensual or um, that doesn't center a deep care. So I think it's really important to um like all words, all words, language is so limited um, and it can just be in the wrong hands, be terrible. I um, I always think of one of my favorite quotes from um, Rilke is I'll always belong to myself, even as many times as I'll try to give myself away. And I love the nuance in it because it, I think it could have a really shallow reading of individualism or some weird weirdness, but I, I think it's a, an important piece to bring to this conversation around um, finding belonging and um figuring out how yeah like you say it's about home but it can't be fixed like it has to be fluid it has to be consensual it has to be relational it has to be emergent and you know as kind of like these um conversations around like identity and 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 reconciling like like pieces of ourselves within 
um, the context of like the outside world and actually like recognizing that the pieces of us are not um, separate, but in fact, we're whole and we, we, um, yeah, just like there's this duality kind of experience that we're touching on here that like, you know, with belonging comes othering and um, whether that's internal or external. Um, I really liked the idea of that you said um, about safety and like kind of how you explained it, like just wrote down on my page, it's like, you know, this safety within blooming and being um, being at a stage of growth that maybe um, we can find compassion and understanding for ourselves too. Um, and, and yeah, like how we embody belonging is very different than how like society and culture embodies belonging or, or, um, can't think of the word right now, but like imposes, I guess, imposes belonging, right? Uh, so maybe you could share a memory or a time that you you felt in your body belonging, or perhaps maybe speak to like where and with whom you actually feel the most connected. Hmm. I yeah. First of all, I want to say I really enjoy that intention that you mentioned between belonging and othering, or that they kind of inherently need to coexist in order for them to exist at all mm-hmm. and maybe that the part of kind of like um yeah de-romanticizing belonging also comes with like destigmatizing othering in a sense like obviously othering across like power divides is not good and mm-hmm. yeah very painful and very hurtful uh but in a sense that there does always need to be a a, a sense of like an otherness to to kind of shift your own location of self towards something um and I don't think that's like a bad thing in and of itself you know that there is always a sense of an unfamiliarity or a sense of um yeah newness and that requires like an other that you don't understand yet mm-hmm. uh, but yes in terms of a specific memory of a time I felt belonging I don't know if I have a super specific like one one off memory but I feel belonging mostly when I'm in nature or surrounded by what we call nature uh, more than human species of many many kinds in specifically in my childhood home in Sweden which is I think where this relationship that I feel very intimately um, of belonging in a like natural world grew I yeah, I hmm, I think I would say I struggled to feel a lot of belonging amongst like fellow humans growing up in Sweden, which is quite like quite a white country and quite a, a country with quite a big middle class population, uh, which is probably not a bad thing. You know, it's not bad to have low wealth inequality, but maybe it also means that people who fall out of the middle class, which is what I did growing up, I grew up quite working class, like a working class immigrant Chinese family, then feel like extra ostracized because most of the people around you really do live in quite the same way, if that makes sense. Uh, So I felt, you know, growing up, I quite struggled to connect with other people my age because I felt like our everyday lives just looked and felt really different. So often what I would do is kind of find a home just in this little patch of forest, uh, say five, 10 minute walk from where I live. And then after you kind of walk through this little, yeah, patch of forest and then you're like immediately surrounded by like birdsong and it's like the asphalt road turns to like a gravel path. It's very, very sensorial and like kind of otherworldly, but it's almost so magical because it really is just like any patch of woodland. It's not like a specific like landmark forest you know tourist destination it's just like this little piece of greenery uh just outside where I live which is like on the outskirts of Stockholm um but I would often go there I think when I felt a bit like dislocated I don't think I would be able to permit that um as like a teenager but I think looking back that's definitely like when I was seeking some kind of belonging I would felt really drawn to go there and just spend time with like the trees and the grass and the different kinds of like textures of like bark 
or moss or like twigs or rocks and feeling really like um, a lot of things are fleeting in life but and so of course is like the environment and the planet and we're all always growing but that nature would always have like a home for me as long as it existed because in a sense these divisions uh that are very much like a human construction or a human fabrication don't really exist in the natural world like obviously we project humans have projected different systems onto nature or onto more than humans um but i would never feel like they themselves replicated that worldview onto me and so i felt really free and i felt really safe and yeah i was probably in, in those moments just like kind of wandering along and like touching different textures and different bits and maybe finding like a nice rock to sit on and like close my eyes and like feel the breeze in my face in which I felt like there was a sense of home for me in this world beyond my immediate surroundings of you know like school and all the drama that comes with <laughs> formal education so yeah I and I often go back to that specific spot every time I go home to Sweden as well and it kind of feels like we've grown up together in a sense or you know they've seen many many versions of myself and I have also seen like these different inhabitants of this woodland kind of shift across time too so yeah that's why I think where I feel most belonging Thank you for sharing. Um, that sounds like a serene place. Um, I love that it was just this place nearby. Um, yeah, we kind of want to explore a little bit and, and um, talk about the, the game that you created and, and why you created it. Like what was the catalyst for the earthly realm is out of balance. So um, the Earthly Realm is Out of Balance is a chatbot, choose your own adventure game and resource library in one, which when it was online between December 2022 and January 2023 was all accessible via WhatsApp. Yeah, and in this game, the user or the player or the person typing on WhatsApp aids this character called the Interface who is this guardian of a cosmic library of forgotten or endangered endangered knowledges pertaining to ancestry. And the, the way they support the interface is by needing to answer questions or contribute reflections regarding their own relationship to ancestry and their own understanding of ancestry. And with every question that they answer or every reflection that they contribute, they move the game forward in a sense. And yet my intention with this game was to open up discussions about how ancestry is both an incredibly personal experience, um, you know, personal but simultaneously universal, how we are all bound by these differing threads of connections that span intergenerationally but also intragenerationally, like vertically and horizontally at the same time, and how our experience of these threads can differ incredibly wildly, you know, not even person to person, but within one person's lifetime or like year to year, one's relationship to their ancestors or to ancestry as a concept can shift so, so much and have really huge personal and political implications. So ancestry in a sense was a kind of container for these questions and provocations and conflicts that happen on a micro scale individually to, from person to person but also you know across different selves within the same individual but also on this huge immeasurable scale like sociopolitically interspecies planetarily and ancestry for me seemed like a really useful and also emotional way to approach questions that otherwise might feel quite abstract or hard to kind of talk about or hard to really word um yeah in the sense you know thinking about ancestry as something that is again so personal and feels like a very internal kind of musing to think about you know what is my relationship to my ancestors but inherently ancestry is something that is 
shared, you know, that you always need at least two parties to speak of ancestry, I think. And it's a relational concept. And so I kind of wanted to hold space uh, by making this work. I wanted to hold space for people to expand who or what they might consider an ancestor and maybe introduce, you know, this idea that more than humans like plants or landscapes or bodies of water or objects even can also be ancestors alongside, of course, people who are not in our biological lineage. Yeah, that can be a little starting point for this work. Mm -hmm. So um, just to follow up, I'm just curious, who is who is the otherworldly guardian, uh, maybe to you or to the to the project, but also um, just in in a more open way, like why the choice to use a chatbot or to use AI? Hmm. So maybe now is a good time to de debunk quite a common misunderstanding I've come across while making this work, that all chatbots are necessarily powered by AI or AI-driven. I think usually, yeah, usually they are, say, in like a customer service sense. But even so, usually their responses have been trained by, you know, they've been trained by humans to work on a certain data mm -hmm. set. Uh, and at least in this very specific, in my work, um, there's no AI involved at all. Like all the different conversations you have have been like handwritten by me and then programmed by programmers. So it takes you from like, you know, say question one, and there's two choices you can make, A or B, and then A will take you to one point and then B will take you to another. And all of those choices are, have been like pre-designed by me. If you think about like a really, really big mind map, it kind of looks like that on the yeah. back end. But actually, that's a really important point because why I wanted to work with a chatbot in the first place or use this chatbot as the site for this project is because I know I've been thinking a lot about tech, um, thinking about our relationship to our smartphones, how they're, you know, I, I grew up, I'm kind of a very, a very young millennial or like a very old Gen Z, depending on how you look at it. So I grew up whilst like social media was becoming a thing and maybe like, yeah, my adolescence and the advent of the smartphone are quite linked together. So I have a little bit of this like techno utopian feeling in me that I'm aware of and thinking about like the potentials of technology in facilitating conversations and facilitating all this knowledge that you would never be able or would take you a lot, lot longer time to come across um, but also, of course, thinking about surveillance and big data harvesting and all these multinational corporations like mm -hmm. Meta and Google and Amazon. Um, yeah, and then I started thinking about my smartphone and how it holds this similar tension of like incredible potential, but that's kind of leveraged in a way that's really harmful to people and to the planet. Um, yeah, I think like a little cousin to the smartphone was the chatbot, who I felt like was this entity who had had all this caring labor outsourced to them to do you know people come to a chatbot to like have their problems fixed have their problems solved you know they by the end of it they expect like their situation to get better and I was thinking like oh you know what if we enlisted the chatbot's help and their expertise and their labor but maybe in a way that wasn't that that could hmm, facilitate a different kind of growth or a different kind of experience for the person talking to them and usually you know chatbots used in the customer service setting are used by companies of different kinds to help their clients or customers with different issues usually more practical issues that they're having um, but I was like you know what if people wanted to speak to a chatbot where it's a, it feels like it's a similar kind of conversation but actually it's something a lot more personal and a lot more emotional and a lot more intuitive and maybe that can also be a way to help people reroute back into the possibilities of what like a smartphone could do or what a conversation on WhatsApp could mean. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all quite used to, you know, this tech just being in the background in our lives and me, myself as well, you don't really tune into it that much. But I was like, wow, it's really amazing to be able to have these conversations via this like palm-sized device in your hand. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what that kind of accessibility could do when facilitating conversations that can be quite difficult to have, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Wait, sorry, this doesn't answer your question. No, I, that's okay. <laughs> no, I was going to be like, honestly, from listening, I kind of gathered that maybe potentially 
you're the otherworldly guardian. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not wrong. I think essentially it's yeah, a character that I created. Um yeah, you know, that mirrors a lot of the same feelings I have in wanting to facilitate these kinds of conversations. And the interface, they have like a personal stake, I should say, in having people help them. They tend to this library, which I mentioned before, the Hall of Understandings. Um, but this library needs kind of human interaction or interaction from other people in order, in, order, in order to be sustained or it just falls apart and kind of falls into disuse. And it's their responsibility to make sure this place of knowledge is tended to and like thriving and not like uh, dusty and decrepit kind of. So that's their motivation. And maybe, and yeah, mirrors my own desire to want to speak more about ancestry because often I felt it's been quite a solitary experience and also because I recognize how important it is in this time um, to have conversations like this in the open and to have them not now but like soon <laughs> yeah I'm, I think maybe there's been no time in history where you don't feel like you're at a crossroads but maybe that feeling feels even more heightened now with the climate crisis and its consequences just kind of creeping up closer and closer. And this point of no return, which the interface mentions to the viewer, is also something I feel reflected in our shared reality in terms of this point of no return around the climate emergency and at what point it's any kind of human action is going to be uh, too late to like go back, I guess. And of course, this point is always shifting. But in general, this idea of there being like a kind of cliff that we're all standing on the edge of and what needs to be done in order to move us all collectively away from that cliff and into a place of sustaining our livelihoods and our existences on this planet. There's so much here to unpack. I love the the fact that you you bring it into into the view that it's relational like this whole work of finding belonging and connecting to our ancestral is like inherently about relationships um it's like the anti-individual movement um and how fundamentally important it is to broaden what we mean by ancestry um across bloodlines across species um and and including technology, because of course, um, you know, trees are technology. Um, like we can get really um, narrow when we talk about what technology is. And I think, you know, we, I think we'd all, we all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway, but like, it's the use of technology, what the problem is. And of course, the extraction of um, people's lands and, and bodies and resources that are where the problems are. and and of course, um, the addiction stuff, maybe, or the over the distraction of our smartphones, too, is, is all part of this. So I love that you're disrupting that. It feels like a huge intervention into what it could mean to connect um, in this way. Um, and I think, you know, we're at we're at this unprecedented time of immense displacement. And a lot of it has to do with climate disaster and climate change. But of course, it's about war and um, ongoing extraction and empire, um, you know, and I recently read that it's 100 million folks worldwide that are displaced. And so belonging to a specific place or peoples, you know, with that joy of feeling super rooted to your landscape, to to all the all the, um, the flora and the fauna as well, it just seems really almost ancient and not, you know, a little difficult to reach when we think beyond maybe our location and yeah so bringing digital connections to the fore I think right and so I think you're really tuning into something important and so we are wondering how how are digital portals of connection changing the ways we find belonging mm, yeah but yeah just kind of expanding what I said before you know I want to really wanted to reroute into technology as intimate or as a place of intimacy and the place of like safe kind of experimentation with things that can feel really abstract or isolating or, you know, um, yeah, to have, say, something 
that feels quite automated and disembodied and baseless like a chatbot be able to mediate a very complex question of ancestry feels like the kind of work that AI would have really enjoyed as no still I would have I would enjoy it today as my current self but I also would really enjoy it as my younger selves um like different spaces of conversation can lead to different ways that that information is like circulated and embodied and digested I feel and I think there's something quite specific about like texting and being able to kind of pick up and leave that conversation when you need to and when you want to in a way that is maybe a bit harder to do in person um, was something that I really wanted to facilitate or like encourage I think with this work and thinking also about how precious attention has become as a currency in this in this economy <laughs> I'm just laughing at this in this economy quote but no but for real like um you know when all these big tech companies are like vying for our attention and there's a lot of things being made and a lot of content being created I feel like it's also um in this project and in my work in general I feel really grateful I think to a viewer who has chosen to spend their precious time and precious energy with work that I've made when they could be doing about a billion other things and it's almost like this gift that I want to give back to them it's like okay, you've chosen to spend some time and give this project a shot, then maybe in return I can offer you different ways of understanding some things that you are already interested in, and hence this feeling of this being a choose-your-adventure game that is ultimately user-led. That means that if the person is not interested at all, they like don't, they can send one text and be like, you know, this is not for me, I don't really, I'm not interested anymore, and leave it. Or, you know, depending on what they answer, then, you know, different things will come up in response to that. So I want to see tech also as a way of meeting someone where they are at and kind of showing them different directions in which they can move and then letting people make that choice with their own full agency and in, in their own kind of time and space. So that's maybe one specific way that I feel like belonging, I wanted to nurture belonging, I think, through this work. Um, and I think that was always something that was quite explicit for me as well in the making mm -hmm. of it. Like I never wanted to do it just as like a thought experiment because there's so many other things I could be doing with a thought experiment, to be honest. <laughs> like everything is interesting, but it's like uh, at the end of the day, I really feel, um, you know, I think back to the works that have touched me and led me to where I am now. And I feel like I kind of want to do those justice in a sense and I, I noticed that in works like that they've really taken the time and energy out to like connect with me so maybe that's something that I'm in turn replicating it's like an, an ancestor of mine if you will <laughs> mm -hmm. I think like weaving something Carla said and something you said April together like you know the it's like the tools and the way that we use them and then you were kind of saying like in this economy but really it's like these landscapes right if we think about like you know, physical geographical world around us and like going to watch a sunset or being on the beach or whatever. We we choose these, oh, there's a deer walking past my window. Um <laughs> like literally right now, speaking of wow. landscapes. <laughs> want to be part of the conversation. Right. So cute. <laughs> Hello, um, beautiful deer. <laughs> yeah. They always walk down my driveway and they're so sweet this time of year. Um yeah, anyways, they uh like the landscapes of of like our physical surroundings like really um, we we choose those like when we need a recharge and if we kind of lean away from that whole narrative around like technology no matter what or like being on your phone or being on your computer or whatever being on screens is always bad for you and instead say like what landscape are you um, immersing yourself into and yeah maybe like um, escapism and, and coping is a part of that but also like what if it it's filling you up through these digital portals that like you here have so carefully curated and made a place of love that might actually feel as good as going to sit and watch a sunset um, in your favorite spot or whatever, like thinking of the digital landscape in more similar ways as we think about like our physical landscapes and, and how we can um, 
yeah like not mm. not be so bogged down in in the um yeah in like that screens are bad and they take you out of this physical reality or whatever mm, exactly and I, there really is this feeling at least that like using a phone or looking at a screen as a disembodied experience which in a sense it is you know it's very like eye and head heavy but the body is such a big part of interacting with this technology like it's you know mm-hmm. I've always one thing that really drew me to wanting to make this work accessible on whatsapp so that people can use it on their phones or their ipads etc is that people aren't tied down to like a specific time and place like they can be doing it on, on the toilet in bed mm-hmm. before they go to sleep like um whilst they're like queuing for like i don't know something <laughs> queuing mm-hmm. to borrow a book at the library was the first scenario that came to mind but i was like maybe that's not that relevant anymore but you know that just they can uh this journey mm-hmm. this journey accompanies people through like different points in their day and that mm-hmm. in itself is a really embodied kind of variation mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. wanting to experience and sit with the work mm-hmm. um, and in fact, like finding connection to the world around you might not be possible in your physical surroundings, but could be possible if you're in the right landscape on, on your tech. To me, like this project you've created is, um, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful weaving of using current technology, but really going back to some earlier ideas of, of the web, the www, um, which was really about connecting. And um, Mm. I think it's beautiful. And I'm really excited for people to, are you going to be putting it out again? I think when the right time and place allows, yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be a one-time thing. But it's more like, when will the next times be? I'm not sure yet. Mm, Beautiful. But yeah, I am. Yeah, I definitely feel like I remember this feeling of being so excited about connecting. And like in the early days of social media, it was kind of like that for me, or it was just like, wow, there's this stranger across the globe. I know some things about them. We can build a relationship. Um, and obviously that's become real, a lot more complex and nuanced now, mm-hmm. but kind of wanting to go back to that still kind of amazing fact, which is that what the internet does is connect us to these things that otherwise would be a lot harder to access. Yeah. And just trying to remember that in a time when this access seems like it's being like manipulating us instead or used to manipulate us. So it's like, actually, we can also have some agency and use, um, yeah, use it in a way that benefits us too. So not just the only ones that are being manipulated all the time. Yeah, Yeah. really important nuance. I mean, I, when I, I left social media and I, I always say that I, um, I didn't leave it's not social media, right? It's capitalism. Um, and so, yeah, and like figuring out ways to, whatever. We don't need to go into that. People can read my, <laughs> I've, I've written a whole bunch about it. But, um, you know, so I'm just really delighted that this is happening because I, I just really love the weaving together of like the best parts and, you know, um, empire and, and the system and colonial. It's very colonial to think in things and binaries and our, our hierarchies or, um so uh beautiful beautiful work (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah maybe this is a good time to segue to me talking more about the hall of understanding yeah Um, please yeah tell us more about um what it is and um why yeah um why you think weaving together mm. other people's ideas is so important yes so maybe as a little refresher on the game it's like the user uh, chooses all these little paths um, and eventually the game comes to a stop like the path has to end at some point point. and I kind of wanted to give people who've traveled that far on this journey something to kind of take with them or something that they're like left with like a little gift essentially um, and it also made sense I think in the context of the game where the interface is this guardian of this cosmic library and I was like you know maybe I can also flesh out this cosmic library into a kind of a real library of like a real uh, database of some kind. So also going back to this feeling around the internet being, you know, a tool still to, you know, come into contact with different kinds of information. Me creating this library was also just playing into my own interests. Like I really enjoy reading and researching across a variety of angles. 
And creating the Hollow Understandings just allowed me to curate my own library of information on ancestry, which is really fun. Um, and I think at the end of it, it was around like 300 plus different references or excerpts or quotes that were from a hundred plus different sources. And these included like podcasts and poems and more like, like theoretical writing or like fiction writing or different kinds of essays and articles. And I was just collecting these quotes and labeling them in this very big table I had. I think sometimes I would get quite bogged down into creating these like paths that of, of the adventure game, the choices that the users would need to make. And it would be quite a nice like breath of fresh air to step outside and just be able to research kind of endlessly on something that I was so interested in. Yeah, really, I think precious almost to be just adding to this table of infinite information and knowing like it could go on and on and just learning and meeting different kinds of practices and like research interests um and feeling like you know we're all you know expanding ancestry to almost think about different people who have come before me in their study and their work of this topic as well which is really nice but like meta ancestors almost <laughs> Yeah, I love your list. I love it so much. Um, I I look at it often. <laughs> Thank you for oh. putting it together. And um, that just made me feel like a sense of belonging. So I think I just wanted to reflect back, like even seeing the Hall of Understanding did that. Yeah, so kind of, you know, in the face of empire, empires, like the systems, the various systems that have this hold on our collective lives, um, and often violently pushing many of us to remain siloed in our individual lives, or like a, a bloodline nuclear family, or um, just a, a grouping in that way, um, you know, we have to actively cultivate and carve out other more general ways to thrive in our belonging and find find each other across these differences um and you know in our work mine and jamie's and the work we do together and and with other people you know we like to affirm and hold up all the ways we are always already doing it differently like it's already happening and it always has and i think your work really speaks to this of how you weave it together um and yeah and it I think it's an important piece to hold on to as we try to find belonging. And so in that spirit of holding on to these many truths, to the multiplicity of our lives, can you share some of the concrete ways you cultivate thriving and belonging where you are? Yeah. I think Maybe beyond the trees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Apart from touching grass. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Concrete ways are really important. I think when it comes to something so vast as belonging, um, where you can often feel a bit, a bit lost, I guess. Um, yeah, concrete things. One really, really big thing, and I don't think I'm alone in saying this, is just like learning how to rest. It is something I have been trying to do for a few years now consistently, and I want to say I am getting better at it, or I feel like this year I really am resting a lot better than I have before, which I am very happy about and also very proud of me for doing I think it's something um that is you know obviously there is this kind of productivity mindset that goes around and then countering that there is this kind of like rest uh like rest is resistance kind of conversation too but you know it took me so long from like understanding how important rest was theoretically and in my head like I understood that immediately I was like yeah of course rest is good and we should all you know take time to cultivate and nourish and digest then to actually practicing it and living it took yeah it took many years slash is still taking um it's time um, but you know it comes intertwined with so many other things which I think it's maybe hard why it's hard or why it's been hard for me to like instantly arrive at a place of okay I understand rest is important and now I am resting like it comes with also maybe a sense of trust too in like the future or a trust in my future selves to be okay and that's then intimately linked to like you know a lot of sense of 
anxiety or like needing to like control things and especially when it comes to work then I would often feel like you know well if I don't do it as like a freelancing full-time artist then no one's gonna do it so I I really do need to do it I can't really rest um but I think maybe this is also part of the privilege of having being able to have practiced as an artist for a few years now and not needing to treat every single project I do like the last possibly the last thing I'm ever going to make um but seeing that there is some sort of viable future um where I can sit on ideas and let them be and let them develop over time and not just exist on a cycle of needing to push things out and keep creating and keep needing to like stay on top of it and stay relevant um and I feel really lucky to be able to tap into that feeling in this again in this economy in this at least in the UK a lot of defunding that's been going on um towards like the arts and culture sector by the conservative government so I feel yeah I feel it's been good for me to to learn that and really practice that sense of trust in my own work and in the kind of collective response around my work that also allow, allows it to remain meaningful for myself and be sustained as like a professional source of livelihood. Um, what else comes with rest? Um, needing me being able to ask for help also comes with rest, I think, and just that on its own is already connected to so many different things, like being able to just like accept care or ask for care when needed and not just like uh, sucking, sucking it up and, you know, pulling through and like grinding your jaw, grinding your teeth and clenching your jaw to like get through it. But also being able to either ask for help when you feel like you can't do it alone or just letting it go and understanding that things will work out one way or another and being okay with the potential discomfort of not knowing. Uh, quite a big part, I think, of learning to rest. It's just small things like that. Um, little, 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 uh, what would you call it? Little seeds, maybe, that are little seeds that I feel like I'm planting for my future self. Thanks for listening to On Belonging. This episode featured April Lynn with music by Awareness and Saragot. On Belonging is curated by Carla Joy Bergman and Jamie Lee Gonzalez with tech support by Chris Bergman. The show's awesome theme music is by Awareness. On Belonging is a joyful threads and Ground and Futures creation. Please visit groundandfutures.com for show notes, transcripts, and to read more about On Belonging. Till next time, keep walking, keep listening.